Welcome to the Thriller Fiction Podcast, your source for gripping and twisty stories in a serialized format. And now, here's your host, Jim Heskett. Hey friend, welcome to the Thriller Fiction Podcast. My name is Jim Heskett, of course, as the guy at the front just told you. And I am here to read the first chapter of the then timeline in Paper Tiger. Let me recap what we're doing here. What we are doing here is we are reading through every piece of the chronological edition of the Micah Reed first nine books. That's books zero through eight. And we're starting with the books in the order that they occur in Micah's life. So not in the regular publication order, but in the order that they would occur in Micah's life. The eighth book, or technically the ninth book in Micah Reed's uh, saga is called Paper Tiger. And that book is split into two halves. The first part of the book is covers the what's called the quote then timeline in Micah's life and then there's a now timeline that flashes back between a few years before and the present tense and so I'm going to be reading the first chapter of the then timeline so chronologically this is the oldest chapter of Micah Reed's saga I'm going to read it and then after I read the chapter I am going to give you some background information on where it came from how it fits into Micah Reed's life in the overall um, je ne sais quoi of that particular chapter. You ready? All right, here we go. I opened the passenger side door of Pug's car as a line of jeeps crawled along the dusty ground. The wrangler at the front of the line climbed a steep sheet of Utah slick rock, crested the hill, and then descended the other side. The next jeep in the parade soon followed, engine growling as it clawed its way up the impossibly angled rock. This was four years before I left Denver one morning to sneak back to Stillwater and retrieve the shoebox. Years before prison, before my relocation, before taking on a new name, before I knew anything. I stretched as the stink of the jeep engines filled my nostrils. We hadn't stopped for a break since Albuquerque and my back was killing me. 24 years old, but this 13-hour car ride had me feeling like an old man. Falling asleep while sitting straight up probably hadn't helped things. Next to the line of jeeps, a trail map read Elephant Hill Trailhead, the Needles District of Canyonlands National Park. So far, we hadn't seen any needles or canyons, mostly smaller rock formations of a pinkish-tan color. Dusty, dry, broken up by patches of little green shrubs poking out here and there through the rocks. Most of the open ground was covered with a thin layer of sand as if dropped there to act as a cushion. I hadn't expected as much greenery in the desert as I had seen so far, but I suppose it had to rain from time to time. Otherwise, this would all dry up and float away with the wind. My best friend Pug, a man my same age who I'd known since we were young, rifled through his back, the back of the car, pulling out various bits of camping gear, bottles, and jugs of water. You pack the tent poles, right, Mikey? He said. I stared at him across the rear of the car, my mouth dropping, eyes full of panic, smacked myself in the forehead. Oh, shit. He put his hands on his hips and scowled. You have got to be kidding me. I couldn't hold it any longer as a grin cracked my face. 
Pug rolled his blue eyes and flicked the shaggy blonde hair out of his face. You are such a bitch. Yes, I am, but I dare you to tell me you don't like it. You can't do it. You just can't. He tried to act mad, but I could see the smile at the corners of his mouth. He then checked left and right and over his shoulder. Aside from the jeeps, there was only one other person in the trailhead parking lot and a handful of cars. Maybe some were day hikers, some overnight backpackers. When Pug seemed satisfied no one was looking, he reached under the front seat of his car and removed his pistol. He held it under his shirt until he could reach the back of the car. He slipped it into the side pocket of his big pack, then sighed. He gave me a tired look. He didn't like carrying a gun any more than I did, but it was an occasional necessity of our jobs. Pug opened the trunk and yanked out bags of clothes, the tent, sleeping bags, plus cookware. I hadn't been backpacking since high school and had brought none of my own gear when making the move to Stillwater for college. I had nothing at my part-time residence at the Freedom House in Oklahoma City either, so we were using all Pug's gear, and he had plenty. He hefted a second massive backpack out of the trunk and dropped it at my feet. The thing looked like an octopus with all those attachments and nylon tendrils sticking out everywhere. Does the Park Service provide Sherpas, I asked, or are we totally on our own? Pug shook his head. That's part of the platinum package, and our budget is only for gold. Figures. You know how to put that on, he asked. Sure, the strappy parts go over my shoulders. Easy enough. I don't need a manual or anything. He sighed and lifted the pack, then made me turn around. He slid it over my shoulders and then cinched the hip belt. Grunting, he zipped it so tight the pressure took my breath away. It felt like a vice grip around my waist. That's not, um, very comfortable? It's not going to be like this the whole time, is it? As he fiddled with various straps and buckles, he laughed. Yeah, all day, Mikey. It'll be even worse on day two. He removed the pack and I breathed a sigh of relief. He dipped a hand into my cargo pants and pulled up my hip flask for a sip. He eyed me. How much did you bring? Well, you said to plan for three days, so only a couple bottles. You have water too, right? I know an all-bourbon diet sounds like heaven to you, Mikey, but it's death out here. I'm not even kidding right now. I laid my hands on his shoulders. Relax, Pugsley. It's going to be fine. He frowned as he loaded his pack with all his gear, but he didn't say anything else on the subject. I pulled my duffel bag out of the front seat to transfer the essentials to the backpack. I shoved clothes and necessary items in first. I made sure the three-fifths of Evan Williams' bourbon were well-wrapped. Once inside a hoodie, one inside a pair of long underwear, and the last inside the sleeping bag. Pug continued frowning at me as I lovingly wrapped my liquor bottle before stowing it in my pack. I shrugged off his judgment. I'd only brought the absolute minimum, and if one broke, it would be like issuing a DNR on me in the hospital. Once we were both geared up, he helped me hoist the pack onto me, and I nearly toppled over. The thing felt like wearing a professional wrestler on my back trying to drag me to the ground. Pug laughed at me. We'll take breaks. I hope so, I said as I rolled my shoulders, trying to kill some of the pinching sensation at the base of my neck. We faced the trailhead sign, and he removed two items from his pocket. He waited for a couple of day hikers to pass before he handed them to me. One, a trail map for Canyonlands National Park in Needles District. The park was so big it had multiple maps, hundreds of miles. The other item was a photograph of Travis Pien, the man we were here to hunt. A man who had stolen $12,000 from our boss Gus and assaulted his wife in the process. 
the man who needed to be held accountable for what he'd done. Okay, that is chapter one of the then timeline of Paper Tiger. So if you were reading uh, Paper Tiger like straight, that would actually be like the third or fourth chapter in that book. And I could see how if you'd never read any Micah Reed before, coming into this might seem a little jarring because we actually first met the character of Pug, like uh, physically met him in the Micah Reed book Breaking Bullets, which was formerly titled Snitch, but recently I... um. I renamed a few of the books so that I, I felt like the titles were more in line with each other, all two-word titles like that. But you know that, that Pug was mentioned in several, basically all of the Micah Reed books before that. Um, sometimes he wasn't mentioned by name. I think in the first couple books, Micah was too upset um, about uh, Pug to mention his name. And if you've never experienced this before, I don't want to spoil anything for you, but but um, Micah and Pug were very close in Pug's and Micah's old life. You know, back when Micah had a different name, you'll notice in the text here that Pug refers to him as Mikey. So if you've never read any Micah read before, it might seem strange that he's calling him Mike E when his name is Micah. But so let me tell you about how Paper Tiger came to be and specifically how this chapter relates to it. So Paper Tiger is the eighth book in the Micah Reed series, and it's mostly a book that takes place in two timelines. One timeline is the timeline we're reading right now, which is called the Then Timeline, which which occurs um, when Micah is only 24 years old. So it's the youngest we've ever seen him in the series. The, the Now Timeline, the second timeline, occurs when Micah is 28, I think, uh, 28 or 29, it's basically right after he moves to Denver, after he gets out of prison. And the reason why this uh, they're both in the same book, one is that I initially intended to write this Canyonlands chase story where they're, you know, as we learned at the very end of the chapters, that they're in Canyonlands to Pug and Michael, as he's known at the time, are chasing this guy named Travis Pien, who has stolen some money from their boss. And so they're there to make him, um, to hold him accountable for what, he did. Initially, I was going to write that story, this Canyonlands chase story, as its own complete separate Micah Reed novel. You know, it was going to be, you know, 300 pages, going to have all of its own plots and subplots and take place almost entirely in the Canyonlands. But then as I was, as I was plotting the story, um, I realized that it was going to have a sad ending <laughs> and it was going to, it was going to end on a sad note and end not in a giant action sequence. Like the then timeline in Paper Tiger, everything that happens in Candylands, there are definitely some exciting moments, but there's not a big action finish that the Micah Reed um, books are known for. So I was thinking, I don't think that this would work as its own novel because the ending is kind of a downer. Um, and if you haven't read it, I don't want to spoil it, but Micah, basically Micah receives a... Uh, a very difficult piece of information and that's how the book ends or that story ends. So I thought that if I were to counterbalance that with the story of the, the now story of paper tiger, which is about Micah going from Denver to Oklahoma to retrieve the shoe box that he left behind from his old life, that I could compare and contrast the way that Micah was at 24 versus 28 and that those might play well off each other. And so I thought that that would make sort of an interesting juxtaposition of the two kinds of Micah. And I think in the end, uh, it came out to be a really good story. I think the way that the two timelines interact, um, 
work very well. And um, so that's all I'm going to say about that for today. I appreciate you tuning in. Next week, we are going to read the first chapter of Breaking Bullets, which is the what at the time I published it was the prequel story to the Micah Reed series. Uh, when I first published it, it was named Snitch and was later renamed as Breaking Bullets. We're going to read that the first chapter and chat about it. So that's all I have to say. Thank you, friend, for tuning in. Make sure you go to jimheskett.com to get some free books if you haven't already and go to jimheskett.com forward slash contest to see the giveaway I'm currently running. All right, take it easy. That's it for this episode of the Thriller Fiction Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and visit jimheskett.com for more info and free thriller books.